0: Well, again, I am so glad you're here. Thanks for coming today. We're going to have a great time. Got a great message. You know, when it comes from the Word, it's always great. Now, some of you realize this is our, we're we're entering our last week of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Say, woo! Yeah. Hey, guess, guess, so you know what happens this morning? Somebody brings me in a bag full of Killen's dark chocolate. And I knew that was the devil. No. So so, I know we resist it. We'll pass that on to somebody, uh, some grandkids. They'll enjoy that. So uh, last weekend, we started a series of messages entitled Solomon Says from the Book of Proverbs, chapter 22. And we'll be talking about that in just a moment. We're going to continue. But uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. And uh, Jeannie and I, for our our entire married life, which is uh, 42 years, we have always done the, the proverb of the day. Whatever if it's the first, like this morning, you know, the 21st proverb. We, in fact, we actually did the 20th and the 21st again this morning. Um, but just, it, it will impart so much wisdom into your life. We are talking with somebody in between service and they said, you know, uh, since we started to do that, Proverbs has become our favorite book in the Bible. Now, our series, as Solomon says, and we actually have wrote a book, entitled Solomon Says. I'm going to take those 30 things that Solomon talks about. They're all right here in a book and we've got them in the back and uh, autograph copies are back there. And um, for all the Dutch people, well, we have a great sale when you buy multiples. Now, now, I can say that because I'm Dutch. And listen, when you're Dutch, they will not let you out of the crib before you learn how to balance a checkbook. I mean... <laughs> We're, we're, we're like, that, that, that's the way that, that, you know, so you Dutch people, you'll, you'll like that. Um, a friend of mine who is not Dutch came the other day and he said, uh, you know what the, the Dutch bird says? And I said, no. He says, cheep, cheap, cheap, cheap. So there we go. <laughs> that's as funny as it's going to get today. All right. <laughs> Solomon says, Solomon was the wisest man except for Jesus, who ever lived. The Bible says, Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. God said, I'm going to give you so much wisdom, there will never be anyone like you after you, nor has there been anyone like you before you. Solomon said, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. So in Proverbs 22... Solomon is going to try to help us in our life. He says, I'm going to give you some things that are going to help you be successful in your life and please God. It says, Proverbs 22, verse 20, have I not written for you 30 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge to teach you to be honest, to speak the truth. So he's telling us here, I've got 30 things I want to impart to you. Now, this is from the wisest person that has ever lived. And the first one we took a look at real quickly, the the result of it, what he was teaching is that the Lord is the avenger of the poor, the destitute, and those who seem to get no justice in the court of human life. God is their avenger that no one ultimately gets away with anything because God is the righteous judge. The second proverb says, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. Don't associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, we began talking about this a little bit last week, about there's two real things that are taking place here. He's talking about one is friendships or associations. And we often think, well, I can hang around with those people and it will not affect me at all. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, it says, don't be deceived. Now, there's just several places where the Bible tells us not to be deceived. And here's the interesting thing. Where the Bible tells us not to be deceived is where we are the most deceived. That's why it tells us not to be. It says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And I can't tell you how many people I have heard say this, well, that won't affect me. They won't won't affect me. Don't be deceived. He's talking about the people that are in your your posse, your group, the people that you hang around with. They are going to have a tremendous effect on you. The Bible says... Walk with wise men and you'll be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. A paraphrase of that says it this way. If you walk with wise men, you'll be wise, but the life of the fool will begin to unravel. Now, if your life is unraveling, it might be unraveling in your marriage. It might be unraveling in your finances, whatever the area is. If you will look at the people that are the closest to you, almost without exception, their life is unraveling in the same way, in the same place. Because the people that you associate with, they have a tremendous effect on you. Solomon says, you hang around with wise people, you're going to be wise. But if you hang around with foolish people, your life is going to begin to unravel. Now, the second thing here is talking about this anger, is that anger usually shows up in our life as a result of undealt with issues. We've got things in our past that we have not dealt with. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, he says that anger rests in the bosom of the fool. In other words, somebody can have a smile on their face, but right underneath the surface, they're angry. They, 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 they went to bed angry. They woke up angry. Some of them have done it for weeks, some of them for months, some of them for years, and some of it for decades. And it always goes back to unresolved conflict. There is somebody that you believe did you wrong, and You haven't forgiven that person and that anger is there. It's on the inside of you and it's, it's right underneath the surface and it's just waiting to explode. Now what it's talking about is how dangerous unforgiveness and unresolved conflict is. So in Ephesians four, verse 26, it says, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Other translations say don't give Satan a foothold. So listen, when we don't deal with conflict, when we let unforgiveness and resentment and bitterness in our heart, we give place to the devil. That's why Jesus told us, and I think this is so interesting, in Mark 11, he said, every time you pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. I mean, this is something that comes up again and again and again. Almost every day of your life, you're going to have to forgive somebody. There's going to be something that's going to happen. He says, well, nothing's happened yet today. Yeah, but it's only noon. The sun's not going down yet. Something something will probably happen. So Jesus said, every time we pray, we need to check our heart. I think that's why, in fact, I'm sure that's why Dr. Cho, who pastors the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, almost a million members in his church. This is what he says. He says, I must pray four hours every day. Because I hate so many people. (laughs) But he's saying, he says, I've got a lot of issues, a lot of things that have happened, and I just need to keep on forgiving and forgiving. Now notice it says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. One of the best known stories in the entire Bible is in 1 Samuel 17, where David goes and kills Goliath. But most people don't know the next story, the next chapter. As they're coming back from the battle, the Bible says the women come out and they're dancing and they've got their tambourines and they're singing and they're going, Saul has slain his thousands. And I'm sure Saul's like, "Yes." Yeah. And then the rest of the, the verse goes, but David, his ten thousands. And boy, and when Saul heard that, he said, whoa, they put me at a thousand and him at ten thousand. And he literally said in his heart, what more can he have but the kingdom? And verse nine says, So Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it hampered on the next day that a distressing spirit or an evil spirit from God came upon Saul. So one day, he has unresolved conflict. He gets mad at David and then doesn't deal with it. And the next day, the next day, there's an evil spirit that shows up. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. When we don't forgive, ultimately what it does is opens the door for the devil to come into our lives. And it's poison in our life, not the other person. You look at at King Saul, and from this point on, he just begins to make one bad decision after another. He loses, he isolates his top general. He, he, He literally brings conflict and isolates people in his own family. He divided his family. There were 81 descendants of Aaron, and he killed 80 of them because he thought they helped David. They didn't, but he thought they did. He killed 81 of of Aaron the priest, 80, excuse me, 80 of his 81 descendants. He lost his focus. He was supposed to be reigning and ruling, but the Bible says that he sought David to kill him every day. He lost his focus because of that unforgiveness in his heart. When Jesus teaches on faith, the way that he ends is by talking about unforgiveness and our need to forgive because he realizes unforgiveness hinders our prayers. Anger and unforgiveness are related. They're like a father and a son, a mother and a daughter. And it affects you, but not just you. It affects everybody around you. And I think the reason Solomon deals with it so many times in Proverbs is he saw it in his own family. Solomon had a half-brother named Ammon. And Ammon fell in love with his half-sister, Tamar. The Bible says she was just beautiful. But unfortunately, Ammon did not guard what we would call his inner circle, his posse, his associations carefully. And the Bible says he had a friend by the name of Jonadab. And that Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he saw Ammon and he said, hey, why are you so depressed? He says, what's my sister? He says, I can't get a date. She's my sister. He says, and I don't know what to do. And Jonadab says, well, pretend to be sick. And when your dad comes to see you, the king, tell him, yeah, I'm really bad. But if my sister came and made some cornbread, I'd be able to handle that. I could could eat that. So he sends her. The Bible says he got her alone, and he forced himself on her. She left. She tore her clothes. She left, and she was crying. And her, her full brother, Absalom, sees her and says, what happened? And she tells him. Now, the Bible says he didn't do a thing, didn't say anything good or bad. When David found out, the Bible says David was very angry But listen, David did not deal with it. He didn't do anything. He was just mad. Two years pass, and Absalom still is full of hatred towards his brother and kills his brother. As a result, he literally fled for his life, and he lived in exile for three years. But after three years, King David allowed him to come back. But he was not only full of hatred towards Ammon, he was full of hatred towards David. So in a matter of a few more years, he attempts a coup d'etat against King David. And David literally runs for his life out into the wilderness. And then there's a battle between David's men and Absalom's men. Absalom is killed in the battle, along with 20,000 other men. So the Bible says this, listen to this, Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls away from God's grace that no bitterness spring up to cause trouble and spoil everybody's life. And what does it do? It spoils everybody's life. It doesn't just affect you. Unforgiveness is never like a laser beam. It's always like a hand grenade. There's just all sorts of collateral damage. It affects you, but it affects your spouse, your kids, your friends, your extended family, your coworkers, right? It, 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 it is, it, it's poison. So Proverbs t- fourteen twenty nine, whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick tempered displays quality, qual- excuse me, folly displays qual- folly. You know, the Bible says, be careful who you hang around with. It says the, Bi- the Bible tells us the, wi- the, the righteous choose their friends carefully because the way of the wicked will lead them astray. Proverbs 13 says, walk with wise men. You'll be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, it's not that anger is wrong, but it needs to not be against a person. Now, when David heard Goliath, David was angry, but he was angry because God was insulted. And David didn't act in anger. He acted in faith. He didn't act in anger. He acted with purpose. He said, isn't there a cause? It wasn't a person that he was upset against. Now in James chapter one in verse 20, I want you to listen to this because this has helped me tremendously. It says human anger does not achieve God's righteous purpose. Human anger does not achieve God's righteous purpose. So this is what it's saying. It's saying when you get angry, you are guaranteed to miss the will of God. You cannot get angry at somebody and get the will of God in that situation. Human anger does not achieve God's righteous purpose. So I want to tell you a little story, true story. October the 2nd, 2006 was a typical fall day in Nichols Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, Amish community. You know, you'd hear the clip-clop of the horses taking their buggies down country roads. In that town, there was a man who was 32 years old, Charles Roberts IV. He drove a dairy truck for a living, had a wonderful wife named Amy, and three young children. And if you look, sit back and just looked at his life, you would have thought, this guy has got a great life. But in his back trail, nine years earlier, their first child had been born, a little girl. and She lived only 20 minutes. And what happened was Charles Roberts blamed God for that child's death. He got bitter at God, angry at God, and that anger turned into rage. And again, remember what the Bible says, it will trouble and spoil everybody's life. There was even another complication, and we only know this because of things that he had written. But when he was 12 years old, he had sexually molested two young relatives. Now, they were so young that they had no recollection of what had happened. But he had two deadly poisons on the inside of him. There was shame for what he had done, and there was rage. And those two things working together. And he decided that he needed to seek revenge against God. And the way he decided to do it was by killing innocent girls. Now, how many know when the devil gets involved in stuff, everything just gets mixed up? It makes no sense. So this is what he wrote in his suicide note. He said, I'm filled with so much hatred towards myself, towards God, and this unimaginable emptiness. I'm angry at God, and I need to punish some Christian girls to get even. So on October the 2nd, 2006, he took his guns, his rage, and his shame and he went into a one-room Amish schoolhouse in the little hamlet of Nichols Mines, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He walked into that one-room schoolhouse with a 9-millimeter pistol, a 12 gauge shotgun, a 30 30-out 6 a stun gun, two knives, 600 rounds of ammunition. When he walked in, the teacher recognized what was happening, and she fled out the back door, but no one else was able to escape. He had quite a bit of plans and the reason he wasn't able to do everything he planned to do was because the teacher immediately contacted the police who showed up outside the door. There were 25 students inside. 15 were boys, and he released the boys but he kept the 10 girls. He barricaded the door. He tied up the 10 girls. He said, "I'm going to make you pay." He said, "God killed my daughter, but you are going to pay." The girls were ages 6 to 13. He lined up all 10 of them and shot every one of them in the head. Five of them died. Five survived. After he shot them, he turned the gun on himself because the police had arrived. Amy, his wife, had no idea what was going on. In fact, she was in a a mothers-in-touch meeting at the local Presbyterian church. And when she found out what happened, Obviously, she was devastated. She went to her house, and she literally barricaded herself in the house. Didn't know what to do. The evil that had just happened, it absolutely devastated her. And it devastated the Amish community, the slaughter of their innocent children. And if you've read many articles about the story, that's kind of where most of them end. However, within a matter of just a few hours, a delegation of men from the Amish community went to Amy's house. They knocked on the door, and when she cracked it open, this is what they said to her. They said, we want you to know that we have already forgiven your husband, and we know that you have just suffered a tremendous loss, you and your children, that your life is absolutely, your world's turned upside down, and we want you to know that we have no ill feelings towards you, And we know that you're suffering and your children are suffering and that you've just suffered a great loss. We want you to know we're going to help you. We're going to be your neighbor. We're going to be your friend. And you are going to recover and we're going to help you recover. There was a state police officer who was outside when that happened. When he saw it, he just fell on his knees and just began to weep uncontrollably. Do you know, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your your love. Jesus, in the prayer that he taught us to pray, he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those who sin against us. Christianity is not just about your being forgiven. Christianity is about forgiving others. Number three, Proverbs 22, verse 26. Don't be one of those who shakes hands and pledge. One of those who is surety for debt. For if you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? Now today we we typically refer to this as co-signing. It says don't be surety or don't co-sign for somebody else's debt. And what he's saying is most likely if you do this, it's going to come back and it's going to bite you. Now this is advice from the richest, wisest person that ever lived. And he says, don't co-sign it. We're going to get to the spiritual principle behind this in just a moment. But here's an observation. When you find people that are wealthy, wealthy people are normally the most teachable people when it comes to the subject of finances. They don't think I know it all. You know, we've had Jimmy Evans come and speak a number of times. I remember Jimmy. Wave at me if you remember Jimmy. Jimmy's father-in-law is a billionaire. And this is what Jimmy says. He says, there is nobody that is as hungry to learn about finances as he is. He goes to seminars. He hires people. He's always reading. He's always learning. And so often what we do, is we just kind of like, well, whatever. And and realize you learn all you know about money from your folks. How good of a teacher were they? I don't know. Uh -uh, But I want to tell you, there's a guy who was the richest person whoever lived. And he says, I've got some help for you in this area. He says, first thing is don't co-sign. Now I'm going to make a confession to you. I did it twice. Cost me both times. I paid, I paid their debt both times. I I remember about 12 years ago, we had a staff member come in and he said, would you, uh, uh, would you please co-sign for me? He said, uh, I, I, I've got this problem, and I, I need to solve it. And, and if you'd co-sign, um, you know, I can, I can get this loan. And I said, no. I said, I'm not going to co-sign because the Bible says not to co-sign. And, and he got mad, really mad, and, and got a little little bit indignant. And so I'm saying with him, well, why do you need me to co-sign? Well, he said, I co-signed for my brother-in-law on his house, and he hasn't made the payments, and now I've got to make the payments He said, and and now I need to borrow money and because I need to make the payments for my brother-in-law who I co-signed for, so I need you to co-sign for me. (laughs) I I tried to point out to him that that just was not logical, but it didn't go very well. Here's, Here's the spiritual principle. This is the reason that it's dangerous. It perverts a spiritual principle. And here's the principle. You are accepting responsibility for someone else's debt without authority over how they handle their money. It's always a spiritual perversion if you do not, if you have responsibility without authority. And when you co-sign, you are responsible for something you have no authority over. You have no authority over how they spend their money. And you don't know what's going to happen in the future. I remember hearing years ago about a story, true story, by the way. All my stories are true, I'm just telling you, all right. so. So there's, a, there's this evangelist and, and he rents a hotel, gets a couple of other speakers to come and they're putting on a crusade. Well, the crusade that was gonna cost about $25,000. So the first night he receives an offering to defer the cost of the crusade. And afterwards, a man came up and said, the Lord told me to tell you not to take any more offerings during the crusade and all the bills will be paid for. And so the evangelist very wisely said, well, would you please sign here a statement that you will pay for anything that doesn't come in? And he said, no, no, I'm just telling you what God said. What he wanted was he wanted authority, but he didn't want any responsibility. And there should never be authority without responsibility. So the Bible says when it comes to co-signing, you would have have no authority, but you would have responsibility. Don't do it. Responsibility without authority is a perversion. And when you co-sign, you accept responsibility for somebody else's debt without any ability to ensure that they're going to pay. No authority over how they spend their money or what they do with it. Now, the only exception when it comes to to co-signing is if you will joyfully, gladly pay 100% of that debt and not feel bad about it at all, you can say, oh, I'm gonna give you all that money, yes! Put a Joel Osteen smile on, yes. (laughs) Go for it. All right, go for it. Uh, Last one, number three, Proverbs 22 and verse 28. Don't cheat your neighbor by moving the ancient boundary mark set up by previous generations. Now, obviously, he's saying don't take what doesn't belong to you. And and it's not likely that anybody here is going to go home, grab a gun, and go to somebody's house and try to take something from them. Now, our cultural views and biblical views on stealing are a little bit different. You know, we think if you steal from somebody, who doesn't really need it, somebody who doesn't know it, it's not as bad as stealing from someone who knows it. But the truth is, whether you steal $10 or a million dollars, your heart is in the same place. It's a heart issue. It's not an amount issue. It's not a repercussions issue or how much does it hurt that person? Do you realize this whole mess that we're in, We're in because Adam and Eve stole a piece of fruit. It was one piece of fruit. That got us in all of this trouble. It wasn't the size. It was the simple fact that they did it. In Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says, let him that stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what's good that he may have something to give to him who's in need. You know, most of us, when we think about work, we just think about ourselves. But when God thinks about work, listen, he thinks, first of all, about your having something to give, have something to give. Because what God's after is a heart. He wants us to have a heart to share, to love, to give, to lift. And so God doesn't look at it the same way that you and I look at it. That's why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Once we embrace that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, that we're going to take the first portion of everything that we receive, and we're going to sow that thing, what it does is it does something down on the inside of you. What happens is the desire to take what doesn't belong to you vanishes. The, the, the jealousy over what somebody else has, it vanishes. When you and I are living to be a blessing, and when we begin to live, to sow, to give, what there's a spiritual law that kicks in that says give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. When l- living to give becomes a lifestyle, the temptation to take what isn't yours disappears. The temptation to be jealous, to be envious, to be covetous, it disappears, But when we don't, Solomon said it this way, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. What it's saying is it's saying that you may enjoy it for a moment, but what really brings pleasure into your life, what brings purpose into your life is not living to get, but living to give. Proverbs 11, the world of the generous gets larger and larger the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And when we begin to give, it it sets in motion a spiritual law of giving and then receiving. When Job, the Bible says, when he prayed for his friends, God turned his captivity. When we live to bless others, when we live to give, the blessing of God literally just begins to fall on our lives. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Now, if you're here today, I want you to listen. Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. And you know you're right with God. You know you're forgiven. You know you're on your way to heaven. Would you lift your hand? You're right with God. On your way to heaven. Now, if you're here and you didn't lift your hand, thank you for being honest. But if you're here and you say, I'm not right with God, but I want to get right, I want to be right with God, I want to be forgiven. I want to live that abundant life that Jesus came for me to live. And I want you to listen carefully. First of all, it's not perfect people that go to heaven. The Bible says it's forgiven people. See, sometimes we think we've been disqualified. Everyone's welcome. Everyone gets in the same way. Everyone can meet the requirements. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All of your efforts or my efforts could never make us right with God. There's just one way, and that's Jesus. And he said, you must be born again. You need to give him all of your heart, all of your life. You need to decide you're going to live for him. When you do that, he'll forgive you. He'll make you a part of the kingdom of God on your way to heaven. You'll begin to take a step into that abundant life that he came for you to live. Now, if you're not right with God, I want you to get ready, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, if you say, I want to get right with God, lift that hand. Now, you're not lifting it to me. You're lifting it to God. And the first thing that you're saying to God as you lift that hand, you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. One. As you lift that hand, you're saying, today, I'm giving Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. Get ready. As you lift that hand today, you're saying, Jesus is going to come into my heart. He is going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to be right with God. I'm going to be on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Lift it up. Pray pray with me. I see that hand and 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 that hand. Are there others over here to my left? Thank you. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Lift it high. Thank you. In the back here. God bless you. Thank you, sir. God bless. Way in the back. Thank you. All right. Would everyone please stand? But nobody moving. Now, if you lifted your hand, would you please look right at me? Would you move to the aisle that's nearest you, wherever that is? Now, bring the person you came with. Bring your coat. Bring whatever you need. But make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're gonna say amen in a moment. When we say amen, your past is gonna be gone. You're gonna be right with God. You're gonna be on your way to heaven. This is your day. If you're in the balcony, please make your way down. We're gonna wait for you as you make your way down here. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, we are rejoicing with you today is you're making a decision to pass from darkness to light, from the power of the devil to God. This is the most amazing thing that can ever happen in any life. Futures, destinies are changing as we make decisions to receive what Jesus has done for us. Are they coming from the balcony. Still coming. All right. Well, come right up here. Come here. Come here. Romans 10, verse 13. Right? This is what it says. I want you to listen. It says, Whosoever, so that means you, and 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 you. This is gonna work. Alright? Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. Now we're gonna call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is God's promise to you: will be saved. You pray this from your heart. And when we say amen, you are gonna be forgiven. You're gonna be right with God. All the way from the balcony, thank you. Thank you for making it down. All right, would you please take one hand, everybody. Take one hand, put it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. And I want everyone, make these words your own. Say this out loud, say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again I give him all of my heart and all of my life I'm not going to live for myself any longer I'm going to live for my king I'm going to live for Jesus I thank you, you've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven my past is gone I'm now a part of your family a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.